and welcome to the Dairy Dialogue podcast and it's number 158, which means we've been doing this a while now, maybe even closer to getting it right eventually. I'm Jim Cornall, editor of Dairy Reporter, and we survived the webinar, or webcast, or whatever it's called, which went out yesterday. Three great guests from Danone, North America, Kerry, and Board Beer. It was sponsored by IFF and Cargill, and I think it went pretty well, but I guess I can't really review my own events. Anyway, thank you to anyone who joined us for that, and even though the live airing has passed, you can still register and watch it again as many times as you'd like, as it's now available on demand. The podcast this week has an interview in it that extended well beyond an hour, all on its own, about Icelandic skier. A real fun interview, and obviously I couldn't run the whole thing, so a lot of the asides and tangents have gone, which is a bit unfortunate, as it was a fun interview. We talked about Iceland, ice, volcanoes, ice hockey, soccer, and at some point, I think we even mentioned the new product. Since the last podcast, it has rained, and locally, not that far away, maybe 10 miles, also known as 16 kilometers, people were posting photos of the Northern Lights on social media. I wasn't one of them. We quickly went out to see if we could see them as well, but all we could see was street lights and a few stars. You don't see stars very often in Scotland because of the rain. You do see stars filming movies here because of the scenery and the castles and the history, though. And my wife is even going to be an extra in a movie later this month. I have no idea as what. And nor does she yet. The clocks have finally changed in North America, so it's not quite as confusing as it was, which is good news. Having to work out time zones for interviews is always a challenge. We're getting close to the end of COP26, and at the moment it does seem pretty depressing, with Climate Action Tracker this week saying that if all of the promises being made at COP26 are kept, you can forget the 1.5 degree rise in temperature. It's going to be at least 2.4, which is obviously nowhere near enough. Climate Analytics said the net zero targets are just lip service to real climate action, and my feeling is that that's probably quite accurate. I managed to keep my accident-prone streak going this weekend as I came out of a store, pulled off my face mask, and got it tangled in one of the arms of my glasses. So when I pulled it off, it ripped the arm off as well. I'm kind of lucky that those glasses that I wear are just like reading glasses, the ones that you can buy from the store. And so I was able to replace them both quickly and very cheaply, although certainly not very stylishly. But then I wonder, when was I ever stylish? In university, I wore pink jeans, waistcoats, and had a ponytail. My son saw a photograph a while ago of me in exactly those clothes in my late teens at university, and his comment was, Who's that? Well, sorry son, it's genetic. You too will look ridiculous. But play the drums and you might just get away with it. I almost did. And so I should let you know who is on the podcast this week. We have conversations with Suzanne van den Eshoff, Global Head of Marketing, Food Industry at Friesland Campina Professional, Unar Helgi Danielson and York Underwood from Thor's Skier, and we have another interview with two people as well, and that is with Mustafa Medhat, Senior Director of Products and Technology Applications at Cyware Systems, and the Dairyland CEO, Kyle Taysom. We also have our weekly look at the global dairy markets with StoneX's Charlie Highland. 
And that brings us to the weekly look at the news we covered over the past seven days, or at least some of it. Arla Foods has launched a new sustainable production strategy. The Norco Ice Cream Factory in Australia is set to get a $30 million upgrade. And the Canadian retail and food service sectors are set to see a dairy price hike. Fonterra and VitaKey are partnering on probiotics. Osnutria Dairy Ingredients launched CBM Goat Power. And Friesland Campina has built a mobile yogurt plant for Nigeria. In the U.S., Strauss Dairy Farm and Blue Ocean Barns worked on a trial that shows a red seaweed reduces methane emissions. Saputo published its second quarter results, and a Spanish cheese was the big winner at the World Cheese Awards, which were held in Spain. SIG launched its new Combivita range, Ketone has changed its name to Halo Food, and in Ireland, Biovest and Development Capital are set to acquire Nomadic Dairy for 29 million euros. You can read all of these and many more at dairyreporter.com. So let's get to this week's interviews. I know it's hard to accept, but 2021 is almost over. I think time is speeding up. But we're starting to see the 2022 trends already coming in. And one of those trend reports came from Friesland Campina. And it's their fourth annual report. And it features three key trends and lots of micro trends. To tell us what we can expect next year is Suzanne van den Eshof, Global Head of Marketing, Food Industry at Friesland Campina Professional. To start, I wonder if you can run through the main trends in the report. Yes, sure, Jim. I'd love to. So what we see, we see three global trends for next year. The first one is called Being My Better Me. Uh, The second one, Lovely Luxury Experiences. And the third one, Mindfulness on the Menu. And uh, those are nice words, but I think it helps if I uh, share a bit with what we mean with that. Uh, So the first one, Being My Better Me. This is about consumers who have seen in the pandemic how fragile life can be. And that means to have more actively their ears tuned to that inner voice that advocates healthier choices. And also they increase the interest in a lifestyle that could boost their well-being. And now as we start to realize we will have to live with COVID-19 for the longer term, consumers are keen to maintain the healthy habits they adopted during the lockdowns. And when we talk about healthy habits, it's not just diet. Here we talk about other habits that consumers want to hang on to. For example, taking regular exercise, or having a better work-life balance, which is difficult uh, working from home. I think still many people do. It's all a bit uh, fluid, but also finding ways to reduce stress or getting a better night's sleep. And consumers get also support by governments and organizations who uh, are also stressing the fact how important it is to live a healthy lifestyle and introduce initiatives such as the sugar tax or traffic light systems or the Nutri-Score label, all to help consumers making uh, healthier uh, choices. And we're not talking here about really extreme diets, for example, uh, with uh, weight loss as the sole goal, but it's about making incremental changes that hopefully become structural and lasting lifestyle choices, according to consumers' own beliefs. And those really differ from one person to the next. So one has, for example, uh, installed a a meat-free day once a week, and the other one went completely vegan. But all it's about the question to be the better version of themselves. And the most easy thing relatively easy, I would say, is to look at new takes on their familiar and popular foods as the way to ultimately make uh, lifestyle changes. 
So it could be, uh, for example, a cake that is not only indulgent, but also does something good for your health. Or it's a pizza. People know it's generally not the most healthy food, but make it slightly less unhealthy by looking at adding a bit more um, grains or focusing on reduced salts, for example. So that's number one, being my better me. And the second one is called lovely luxury experiences. And this is all the way from fantastic fast food to superior foods that is delivered fast. And the definition of premium is being raised several notches here. So now more than ever, consumers want the luxuries that make life lovely wherever they are and wherever they like. And we, we couldn't agree more with that. And here, I think also helped in that sense by the pandemic is that special treats that were once only available by visiting, for example, top restaurants now come as takeaway. Or you can order a, a kit with a, a live connection sometimes, even with a chef who helps you prepare it or from a food truck. Yeah, so during the pandemic, I think eating in became the new dining out. And there's lots of new services and food service stepping into that area. And it's not only a food service who looked more at how to deliver food with a click of an app. It's also the, the companies that were more used to do that. For example, the delivery services that bring different food, find fresh food, local produced sometimes. And that also raised the bar in food service and in-home consumption. And when we talk here about new luxury experiences, we look at it from a multi-sensory kind of way. So, for example, blending and blurring categories and rewriting the rules on texture and taste combinations. Consumers look for surprising pairings to really tease their taste buds. And this is really a, a new thing. And the number three is mindfulness on the menu. Yeah, we see with societies opening up again and the vaccination rollout program that provides us greater protection. And sharing food with your friends and family that is becoming now hugely good for the soul and helps you to reset your mental balance after such a long time being absent from your loved ones. And in those kind of occasions, obviously, you would like to take care and treat your, your loved ones with something nice. So it could be comforting staples, for example, like sharing a bread together. But that's not all. Consumers have developed also a more stronger social conscience. So they don't only care for the people around them, but also want to nurture and preserve our precious planet. So this is about feeding, for example, your friends with local grown produce, could be even from your own house, or finding inventing ways to incorporate leftovers in, for example, a soup or a sauce or omelets and what have you, which is a good way to protect also the planet and the people around you. So there we see in 2022, it's a holistic approach that will define uh, food choices. Having seen the report, the each of those trends has some little micro trends associated with them. I wonder if you could go into a couple of or some of those. Yes, definitely. So global trends, they manifest themselves differently in different countries and markets. And that's why we looked for each global trend at the micro trends that are underlying. I can definitely give you some examples. So for the first global trend uh, being by MetterMe, one example we called uh, opting out as a micro trend. And that is about reformulating familiar recipes to reduce some of the perceived baddies, for example, sugar or fat or calories or sometimes whole ingredients like eggs. And that's also a way to make a healthier twist to uh, the food consumers love. And what we did uh, in the trend report, uh, we showed also ways to make those trends more actionable by developing uh, applications for customers. Those are turnkey, so you can use them as they are, but you can also, of course, tweak them to your local uh, market needs, and we can also help you there. And here an example is a new take on pizza. That's the pizza that I uh, mentioned already uh, earlier. If you take, uh, for example, the base and you replace it with a wholesome base made from flatbread, 
and the filling, you can, for example, go for a rich reduced salt cheese filling. Uh, we have, for example, new Edam Intense solution there that has reduced salt, but really an intense flavor. Very tasty, E number three, and also suitable for vegetarians. So you can make such a favorite food as pizza, you can make it into a slightly healthier option. And we also asked consumers which desserts they will most likely buy in a skinny version, so a more healthier version. And there, 44% of consumers said ice cream and 33% opted for a mousse. I think ice cream, there in the supermarket already quite a lot of healthier alternatives, but mousses, maybe not so much. So here we developed a chocolate mousse that has a Nutri-Score A label, which is the most healthy option you can get. And it's the perfect combination of sugar, fat and calories to reach that. And we did that with our new vegan topping, which is slightly less sweet tasting. And that boasts this really satisfying, dark and intense taste and has a good mouthfeel and a solid structure as well. So that's for the first micro trend. For the, the second global trend, which is called lovely luxury experiences, one of the underlying micro trends is hybrid happiness. And those are really about these unusual and unexpected combinations of taste and texture. And consumers love it. So we asked um, also here, we did our own uh, research uh, for that. We asked consumers how they feel about new food experiences. And a massive 75% of consumers told us that new food experience are very important to them. And for another 10%, being surprised is, well, moderately important. So, yeah, we think consumers, really the majority, is really looking for extraordinary food combinations, which is a great opportunity for us as manufacturers. And here we also developed an application which is called a croffle. I'm not sure if you ever heard um, about it, uh, Jim. It was developed recently in Korea, a country where many food crazes start. And it's a mashup between a waffle and a croissant. So if you take a croissant dough, yeah, we would of course recommend to make it with our own texturized butter. If you roll it out and if you bake it in a waffle maker rather than in a traditional oven, you get to this really nice crispy pastry. And that matches very well with a variety of toppings, both savory and sweet. And then if we go to the third global trend, which is called mindfulness on the menu, here I'd like to point out a micro trend, all encompassing goodness. It's about a locally sourced, homegrown, if possible, and great uh, for sharing. So food consumers can enjoy with their family and friends that is good for the planet as well as for their palate. And here an example application is zucchini cake. I was actually growing a zucchini on my uh, roof terrace and uh, yeah, it helps being every day at home to either water them or make sure they don't drown in the amount of rain. But they grow usually very big, very fast. So uh, my family at a certain point was also a bit fed up with zucchini risotto, zucchini pasta, zucchini whatever. So I was very happy with trying out this new recipe. It's a chocolate cake with zucchini inside and zucchini peel on top. Yeah, so all in all, uh, many new exciting applications uh, to be able to address those microtrends in the marks, I think. Where does all the information come from to be able to put these reports and trends together? Ah, uh, yeah, excellent question. We use multiple sources. We buy um, reports, uh, external reports from the from the industry. We also have our own internal reports. We do um, consumer research. So I pointed out already a few data that we developed ourselves. We can do, for example, um, attractiveness tests with uh, growth hacking. But we also, yeah, we're a large international company. So we have in many countries across the world, we have our local teams. We also have innovation centers in Shanghai, in Manila, in Wageningen here in the Netherlands. Yeah, where we have local teams and local expertise that we also tap into. So it's a multiple sources and yeah, therefore you can understand it's quite a lot of work. But then, uh, yeah, you have something with the trend report. It's uh, really based on a lot of different uh, data points.
You mentioned um, earlier about the meat-free Mondays and, and some of the plant-based things. And I know that, obviously, Friesland Campina is a dairy cooperative. Is it difficult or easy to be objective as a dairy company on trends like plant-based? Uh-huh. Yeah, good question. Let me think about it. Yeah, there are two things that I'd like to uh, I'd like to point out here. The first thing that's going to my mind is, yeah, consumer needs are legitimate. And our customers, they see that the consumers both ask for products based on dairy, but also plant-based products. And our customers obviously would like to offer them solutions. Yeah, we see ourselves as one of the leaders in the food industry. So not telling an objective story about what we see with consumers. That's yeah, maybe in the short run, that may seem attractive to push dairy. But yeah, we're in the business for the long run. And yeah, the trust we earned from our customers to provide market insights, that's one of our most valued assets. So we'll be very short-sighted to damage that trust. Yeah, that's also proven um, this year we celebrated our 150th uh, anniversary as Friesland Campina. So that's shown we're in it for the long run. And yeah, over those years, we had to be flexible in adapting to changing market needs. And uh, if the market is going there, then we move with it. And secondly, we also have quite a big range of plant-based solutions. It's maybe a yeah, surprising being a dairy cooperative, but we do have uh, vegan solutions in whipping agents, in liquid toppings, in fat powders, in creamers and foamers. So uh, we're not only for dairy the, the go-to supplier here. And as you rightly point out, 150 years has been a lot of changes in many areas over 150 years. The technology is incredibly different. This is the fourth report that you've done. Are you seeing some of these trends changing, growing, fading? Yeah, obviously trends change slightly over the years and they manifest themselves differently. But the general theme behind a macro trend is pretty stable. So, for example, um, healthier indulgence. And it's just each year it's slightly different. We see also that big disruptions, I think, like this global pandemic that leave their marks. And then micro trends that supports those um, global trends. There we see more, um, more changes. They're more short term, more regionally different. So last year, uh, we had a micro trend called reinventing in-home indulgence. And that was about in lockdown. There we did not have, or at least not in this part of the world, where food service was really adapting to takeaway and home delivery, especially restaurant food. So um, consumers were doing that themselves. And that's the trend we, um, we saw for which we had developed applications. But for example, my supermarket around the corner that's ran out of uh, yeast and baking powder, for example. So you could see that consumers were really doing it themselves having not an alternative. And this year, what is new in this year's trends report as well, is that we have a larger array of solutions and applications than previous years. So, for example, um, cream, cheese and butter. And we also added two interviews with uh, key opinion leaders in our industry, of which we are very proud that they made a contribution to our trends report. So the first one is a Dutch patissier and chocolatier, Bart de Gans, who is a member of the Dutch patisserie team. And he also sits on the panel of several industry competitions, in international competitions. And the second one, from completely the other side of the globe, is the Australian patissier. Some people may know him from Netflix, Adriano Zumbo. And he's called, I really like that nickname, uh, Australia's answer to Willy Wonka. And he's known for his signature macaroons. And in, for example, MasterChef Australia, he made those challenges, uh, which one, one was called the Macaroon Tower of Terror. Really nice to see. And both Bart and Adriano shine their light on what they see as emerging trends in next year and also gave some industry insider top tips for the readers of the trend report. 
You mentioned Australia, and I know you mentioned Korea earlier, and Korea seems to have taken off in terms of global recognition with Squid Games. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be huge right now. The the trends, do you see that they're global? I know you mentioned some of the micro trends were more regional. How do you sort of divide that territorially? Yeah, here I think it depends really on what, what is also the local food and drinks that people prefer. So indeed, the micro trends differ. When you talk about being my better me, the first global trend, you see that, for example, in Southeast Asia, a lot of um, instant mixes are consumed. So these, um, yeah, you mix it and then you have a lovely cappuccino or a milk tea. But sugar is uh, actually a big ingredient in those mixes. So there you see there's uh, quite some focus on reducing this amount of sugar and also replacing it for sugar alternatives, for example. And in Japan, also a country that I really love for its innovative capacity, there you see that immunity and stimulating it has been really embraced. So there it's already pretty normal to buy uh, chocolate with uh, a rich with cause, um, galacto-oligosaccharide, that is known for boosting immunity and improving gut health. So that's already on the market. And this is what I love about working in foods. There's so many different preferences and differences that keeps on being hugely interesting. Doing trends and trend reports is one thing, but how do you utilize those reports to work with your partners on capitalizing on these trends? Yeah, I hear you raise really an important uh, point, Jim. That's absolutely right. So, yeah, you can create a lot of value in the market by uh, developing new innovations that address trends. But as a company, we, but also our customers, need also to capture this value in the market and how we see, we work with our partners, there's, there's not one way, really. It really depends on, on the needs of the customers and how far they want to take the relationship together. Where we usually start is discussing first what challenge to solve and also where we can support. So is it already really clear what needs to be developed? It can be, for example, a new product that uh, has to outperform competition, but it can also be new legislation that the products have to be adapted to or um, adapting an application to meet local taste preferences, so it can be a lot of things. And then once that's clear, what's the challenge we need to solve, then we can discuss how to. And yeah, we have multiple tools available for that. We in general divide it into three different steps. So discover, create and validate. And discover is really about do we really know what we need to develop? And here we have tools like um, our own consumer data coming from our online listening studies. We have sensory marketing insights, for example, a flavor wheel. We can do overviews of competition in the form of a landscape study, for example. But we can also inspire each other during marketing days. And those used to be offline, which is really great to meet people face to face. But we also experienced that online, there's quite a lot of stuff you can do. So we also love to meet customers online and talk about uh, inspiration and providing new concepts. So that was discover and then create. Uh, this is obviously about creating the new, uh, the new recipe or application. Yeah, here we have a large range of uh, turnkey recipes available. So this uh, new trend report contains 17 new applications, but we have already a large library of applications from the past as well to start or to literally use as they are. We can develop uh, recipes together. We can also co-create during innovation days, and that is even better face-to-face. -face. We now have our new uh, innovation center also in Wageningen with a kitchen that is very well equipped for that. Yeah, our kitchens and facilities can also be used to replicate the end consumer experience. And step number three, after discovery, create, then you have validate. There we can, for example, do consumer validation with consumer panels. 
But we have also a, a sensory panel that can provide uh, sensory validation and those sensory wheels. So there are all kinds of tools that we have available. And uh, yeah, it really depends on customers where we can help them with. And how do people find the report and get a hold of you? The trend report is available as a download, but there was also a webinar two weeks ago and the broadcasting is also uh, can be found on the website. It's www.frieslandcampinafoodandbeverages.com and there you can find both. Maybe nice to mention it if you download the trend report and you give us consent, there are also following emails which are more specific on a certain topic. So for example, one is about the vegan menu, one is about baddies out, goodies in, which I guess many uh, of our customers will recognize as a challenge, and uh, focusing on clean label as well. That's the third one. It's a bit of a repetition perhaps, but just contact us and we would love to work together with customers. Next, we have an interview with two companies that have partnered on new on-farm testing technology. We talked to Mustafa Medhat, Senior Director of Products and Technology Applications at Cyware Systems, and Dairyland Laboratories CEO Kyle Taysom, who you will hear from first. Okay, so I guess the first question is if you could both tell me about your respective companies. Yes, I work for Dairyland Labs. It's a company my grandfather started in the 1950s. At that time, you know, the industry was just starting to test for butter fat and protein in milk. And we got started as an independent, basically, verifier of the quality for the payments happening between the producers and the buyers. And even today, that's largely a role we play, although we've expanded into feed and soil testing. And actually, at this point, the majority of our business is in feed and forage testing for the dairy industry. And is that global or North America? Or? Yeah, we're based out of the Midwest here. So probably half our business is Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Iowa. But at this point, we have a global footprint. We support other labs in See, there's about 65 other labs. So in any market where you find dairy cows and forages, you'll probably find either a lab that we own or one of our affiliates that uses our calibration databases. And Cyware Systems? So Cyware is, uh, I would say, a bit younger than Dairyland. So the company was founded in 2004 by experts in the semiconductor industry, uh, mainly with coming from companies like Mentor Graphics, which is part now of Siemens and Memscap, which are also the MEMS uh, big company in France. Since like the beginning, I was actually the, the first engineer in the company. We started like with developing technology in MEMS and semiconductor. And we came up with our first product, which is the world's smallest need infrared spectrometer. And this spectrometer is in production now for several years as a testing platform. And now we're trying to partner with experts in different areas like Dairyland here and the feed to bring the power of this technology to the agriculture industry for farmers, nutritionists, and feed mills. So simply, we are providing uh, like a state-of-the-art uh, near-infrared analysis with a lab-grade performance for the first time in the field, being an affordable solution, which like brings a lot of value to the customers. And that's why I'm thrilled to be here today with you, with Kyle, to present uh, the company and the technology. And so where did the partnership come from and why was that formed? I would say like we partnered to address the challenge in the dairy feed uh, variation in the industry, which really impacts the feed nutrition content and also most important, the animal productivity. We believe that our new solution will empower the farmers, nutritionists, and feed mills to have a real-time results so that they can make quick decisions and improve the feeding efficiency. 
Yeah, from my perspective, Cyware is bringing to the table some real expertise in hardware design and manufacturing, and also expertise in building the software platform that that all runs on. In this particular vertical of the dairy feed supply chain, Dairyland Labs is kind of the experts in that. A lot of experience in feed testing, NIR calibration development, we really understand the use cases or the problems that can be solved with this new hardware. So it just made a lot of sense, I think, from both sides to partner up to try to address this market. And so what does each of the companies bring to the table that you couldn't necessarily do alone? Well, I mean, from Dairyland's perspective, we've seen this need or a set of unsolved issues with dairy farms and managing variation in feed, where the instruments we use in the lab are just much too expensive for infield use. But we really don't have the wherewithal to design new hardware or bring new hardware to market ourselves. So, you know, when we came into contact with Cyware, got some understanding of what they'd already created, what the hardware was capable of. We just saw a lot of opportunity here to bring some value to the dairy industry. I believe also, as Carl mentioned, Cyware is bringing the hardware and software capabilities and the new spectrum platform. And uh, like partnering with Dairyland, who has a, a, like a long feed testing experience, users will be able to pair the new Spectra portable scanner for the first time with a dairy land feed analysis models, which are available on the new Spectra lab store which is like the app store where you can download different apps for different models measuring different parameters. On this lab store, users can like download models to perform in-field analysis uh, in many different industries like food, agriculture, and life sciences. And here we're focusing on different models to be used in like in real time in the farm. So really combining the, like, the hardware and software capabilities on our side with the like, dairy land feed testing experience for a long time. Can you give me a little bit of a kind of a run through of how the system works and what it does and how easy it is to use? Sure, I can start with uh, the hardware and the platform and then I'll leave Kyle to comment about the feed analysis solution. So simply, um, the Neospectra scanner is designed for infield use. It has a large collection surface to effectively analyze either homogeneous or non-homogeneous samples. So the Neospectra scanner gives light on the sample and then the light comes back to be analyzed to measure different parameters, for example, like protein and moisture in soybean meal as a homogeneous sample, or other materials like corn silage, uh, where you can measure different parameters as well. And with the scanners, like users like can analyze moisture, for example, in real time, uh, also detect trends and changes in the field quality and screen the quality of incoming ingredients and different plots. And on the feed analysis platform, uh, when the customer pairs the Cyware Neospectra scanner with a Dairyland feed analysis app, uh, which will be made available on the Cyware Spectra, like Spectra Lab Store. Uh, you can access this and download different models that you can use in the field. Uh, you can also make calculations on the spot without any need for any internet connection, because in the field, sometimes you don't have this connectivity. So we enable the user as well to take a decision on the spot, on the farm, even without an internet connection. Kyle, would you like to comment how this would benefit the farmer, nutritionist? Yeah, I'll just walk through a couple of use cases. So if I'm out on a dairy farm today, I'm probably measuring moisture on a pretty frequent basis with some other type of method. Maybe that's weekly or daily, depending on the feeds that I'm going through. With the Neospectra scanner, now I can get those moisture results instantly. I could measure multiple times a day if I want. At the same time, in the background, we'll be predicting things like protein, fiber, maybe even starch digestibility. 
So while I'm measuring those moisture changes through my normal process, I'm also looking for trends indicating that I need to update my diet formulation. Another use case might be I'm at a feed mill. I have incoming loads of distiller's grains or gluten feed. And we know that like in distiller's grains, sometimes I get a load that's 50% digestible and sometimes I get a load that's 90% digestible. But today, I don't know which one of loads loads is which. And by the time I send a sample off to a lab and get the results back, that feeds already through the mill, probably out onto farms and in feed bunks already. So with a Neospectra scanner, where I'm bringing feeds into the mill, I could be accepting or rejecting loads or segregating based on quality in real time as those feeds come into the mill. And so what does this partnership that you've formed mean for your customers? Yeah, well, for Dairyland's customers, it means they'll be able to make more real-time decisions, enabling different decision points than they could with traditional lab measurements. We've already built an integration between the lab data and the Neospectra. So I'm generating that Neospectra data for any of those real-time decisions. And then for things that just don't work by NIR, things like mineral analysis, mycotoxins, mold analysis, I can still send those samples off to a lab and the person who's formulating my diets can pull all that data together in one convenient platform when it's time to make a diet change. Yeah, just one like small comment to add to what Kyle said, that really the users like nutritionists or farmers or in feed mills, they can really take control of the variation in their feeding system, including forages stored on the farm or controlling on the incoming ingredients on the different lots as Kyle mentioned. And so users now can like solve uncertainty around the feed quality in real time. And they can take as much measurements as they need without like limited number of samples going to the lab, which would maximize the livestock performance and also reduce the overall feed costs by being more efficient. And in terms of ease of use and also cost effectivity, how good is it in that respect? Yeah, just by pressing like one button in your cell phone app, you can measure multiple parameters like dry matter, protein, fat, starch, and fiber just by pressing one button and one measurement on the sample, and you are getting access to multiple parameters in real time. This can really enable farmers, nutritionists, or feed mills to get access to a lot of data, which before were subject to a lot of noise, like measuring only one sample or two samples per week, sending this to the lab. This was subject to maybe a risk in getting the results. So here's really getting like an easy step by pressing one button, and then you can get the results instantaneous. Yeah, I don't know how much easier it could get. You put the sample on the instrument, press the button, and in less than a minute, you get the real-time predictions. In the background, when you have an internet connection, that data is going to sync up to the cloud and pass on to any other integrations that we've built, whether it's with the labs or maybe with the feed management software on the dairy itself. And in terms of the interpretation of the data that comes out of that, is that something that you do and then pass that on to the user, or do they interpret it themselves? What we do for the user is quickly help them visualize the data so they can see if there's a trend. You know, if you can see if protein was going flat at 20% for the last two months and suddenly it jumped up to 24, we make it easy to visualize that. And then um, it's really up to the user what decision that they want to implement, but we're trying to present that data in the most intuitive way we can. And what does it mean for dairy processors? I believe like by addressing the feed variation, I believe this would mean more animal productivity. I believe the dairy or the milk is an output for the feed. And if you are feeding efficiently, 
and controlling the variations, this would mean more animal productivity, which means increased yield at the end. And here I would like maybe to put an example, maybe like before we didn't imagine to have a camera on our phone. So having a spectrometer in the hand of a nutritionist or a farmer or processor, probably this will have a lot of impact that will come and be like, will appear more with time as things roll, uh, roll down. And it, it just seems like this would be something that would be useful right around the world. Are there any plans to extend its geographical use? I believe like right now, we are focused on building a group of beta users and testers and early adopters of the technology in the dairy feed analysis solution so that they will try and then maybe maybe we take it to the next step. Yeah, certainly. We're launching here in the Midwest of the United States in early 2022. But as I mentioned earlier, Dairyland has either labs we own or affiliates in our network in every dairy market on earth. So we've already started discussions with those affiliates on how we can bring these solutions into their markets adapted for their regionally specific feeds. Yeah, it seems like it would be something that would really be a, a big benefit to some of the smaller countries to improve yield in some of those places where yields aren't that high to start with. Yeah, for sure. And once you get out of the United States, there's not that much lab infrastructure. South America, China, even, well, India, there's not that much lab infrastructure to start with. So you'd have the ability to go straight from doing no analysis to real-time infield analysis with relatively low-cost hardware that would be practical in those markets. And is it something that you, you'll be continuing to collaborate on updates on this particular project? And will you be working on other projects together? So any NIR instrument, uh, you know, like the NeoSpectra, requires models, uh, mathematical models that run them. And that's something we've done in the lab for years. And one thing we know about any model, it has to be updated. So next year, seed company comes out with a new variety Uh, Maybe there's some new agronomic practices. There's always reasons those models need to be updated. We have a lot of experience doing those updates, and we'll be doing those not only for our own labs, but for the NeoSpectra platform as well. Just like any other software update you get on your phone, we'll be updating those in the background, you know, in real time. And do you think that you'll continue to collaborate with Cyware? You know, we're really head down into this project right now, but we've had great collaboration. You know, as Mustafa indicated, their company is quite a bit younger than us. So really appreciated the startup energy they've brought to the process. And I really like their new new way of looking at the world, kind of an outsider's view of how the feed supply chain could work. And certainly would love to continue collaborating with them in the future. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like a long-term partnership. I believe that we are hoping to last longer. So hopefully you're bringing more applications to the feed industry. Now it's to the interview that took more than an hour because it was a lot of fun chatting about sport, travel and Iceland and all kinds of things other than the actual interview. The interview itself was also a lot of fun, but I did have to cut it down, including some of the amusing conversation. But we did talk about Iceland and the product Skier and a new brand hitting the US markets, which is called Thor's Skier. It's a company founded by Una Helgi Danielsen, actor and strongman Hafthor Björnsson, and actor Dylan Sprouse. To tell us about the company and the benefits of Skier are the co-founder, Unar, who is from Iceland but lives in Maine, who you will hear from first, 
and York Underwood, the brand manager, who is from Canada and lives in Iceland. Hopefully you got that straight. All right, well, I guess to start off, I wonder if you could give me a bit of background on the company. It's uh, founded by me, uh, Hafthor Björnsson, which is the world's strongest man and the mountain from Game of Thrones, and actor Dylan Sprouse, which is... Um, He's actually a, a, a Disney star. He's enthusiast about everything uh, Viking related and Iceland, of course. So actually, it was quite funny. We You could connect this brand a lot to my uh, restaurant in Reykjavik, where I, I used to sell bottomless soup, actually, and got uh, hungry tourists in Iceland stuffed for uh, a small amount of money. It's funny because we were just talking about before the we started this, uh, uh, how expensive Iceland is. Actually, just ridiculously expensive Iceland is. And Dylan was traveling around Iceland one month after I had had my meeting with Thor about starting this uh, skier brand. And he was carrying the, um, the necklace of the hammer, Thor's hammer. He's a super fan of gods and, and, and so on, which we don't believe in anymore in Iceland. I thought it was a perfect collaboration of us three, uh, since we were going to call the brand Thor's. Hafthor obviously has the name Thor, and he eats a lot of skir. He uh, eats more skir than a regular person. Yeah, a kilogram a day when he's training. Yeah, that's <laughs> imagine, kilogram. That's, that's, uh, he couldn't be a better representative of a skir. You wouldn't find anyone else. Yeah, it was the perfect combination of three um, entrepreneurs and, and marketing people. And we are based from Portland, Maine in the United States and selling in the American market. It was a COVID project, to be honest, Jim. Soon as Donald Trump closed the borders, we had to get, get across the borders because we started this project. We wanted to to get over to America and start to sell skier. It's quite, it was quite a challenge, you know. It was probably the biggest challenge to get over there. But um, we're here to save the world. If, he, if he's eating a kilogram of skier a day, is there, is there any left? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, there's always a bit left because you, it's, uh, it's the one, even though he does use a lot of milk to make skier, it's something you can produce in great quantities quite readily. Like Iceland, eats a lot and even where we're producing it in Pennsylvania we'll be able to handle like the entire US market from our production facility in Pennsylvania which is nice right so it's not not going to be produced in Iceland no shipping fresh dairy products is not recommended across the Atlantic right so that's a it's a this is a like a over like a thousand years old I don't know if you've been reading the news but uh, they've now confirmed that the settlement in uh, Vinland, like where modern-day Newfoundland, it was an Icelandic settlement, and it was about a thousand years ago, almost exactly. And they know that, and we know almost for certain that they would have brought in skier with them, because skier was being used in like Norway and things like that, and these travelers then in Iceland, and it was a nutrient-dense product that they kind of brought everywhere. That's that's why they could survive in Iceland, is they were able to turn four cups of milk into one cup of skier, and this is really high protein, all the kind of calcium and things that they would need like that. And then the natural probiotics would help with them breaking down anything else they were doing. They had incredibly healthy stomachs. And this kind of just one ingredient 
which is milk, and got as much out of it as they could, and used the, like it's it's really just about getting as much protein and energy as you can get in a small space so that you can survive. It's from the same family as yogurt, and and if you look at where this type of product came from in the Mediterranean, in this area around Turkey and Greece and things like that, where they started doing this, you can see it stretch outward and go north towards Russia. And you have like things like kefir, which is like popular now as well, which is a probiotic dairy product, but very thin. But as you go towards more north and more towards Scandinavia, you see the process being thicker and thicker, and then it becomes more of a cheese than really a yogurt by the time you get to Iceland. And what products are you launching in the U.S.? How many varieties? We're uh, starting with four uh, stews, which is this plain blueberry, vanilla, and strawberry, containing only one gram added sugar, which is about six to seven times less than others on the market. And we've been received very well so far. Dairy buyers in the country are saying, like, what is this? We thought it was another meat to yogurt. We are definitely not there because they taste it right away somebody told me it's like a cheesecake in a container i think we're on to something actually we're getting a, a lot of expansions around the country actually no rejections we're going to be in about 350 uh, locations now uh, after only three months since lunch and we have a huge meeting uh, end of this month i can't say exactly who that is but that's going to bring us to thousands of locations if that happens but just to get the meeting is a victory. We had people who did taste tests when we first were just getting out there and we were sending out some sample packages just to anyone who responded to us on Instagram. And because of it, it's so different than what people are used to, the people were taking the, like the plain skier, which is my favorite, it's where you have the most control and it's kind of the most authentic in what you can do with it. And people are saying you can make it into a dip. Some people are using it on potatoes rather than sour cream to kind of up their keto diet. I don't know. It's being, there's a great response from this. When we say we have one gram of added sugar, that is, if you look at the skiers or the yogurts, and some of the yogurts are, you know, basically a form of dessert in some way. If you had a cup of skier every morning from Thor's skier for breakfast, at the end of the week, if it's a work week, that's five grams of sugar that you've had added. If you were having a flavored one, if you had plain, it's zero. If you're doing this same breakfast for your kids and you're giving them the yogurt or skiers that have the higher amount of added sugar for these kind of flavors they have, at the end of the week, it's the equivalent of giving them a can of Coca-Cola. We make these little tiny changes like sticking to the recipe, keeping the sugar low, making it about the protein, asking people to build their own skier bowls, like having fresh fruit and things like that, rather than pumping it full of flavors to get them to eat it. So is it something that's like yogurt gets used in a lot of recipes? Is it versatile in that way as well? Definitely in Iceland, when tourists started coming, everyone wanted to have, okay, they're coming to Iceland, let's give them Icelandic product that they'll have. So they have, you know, there's fish and chip places that had skiranaise where they turned it into like a mayonnaise type thing for dipping fries into or for having fish with and things like that. But if you're doing it at home, yeah, it's a, it's a high protein product. Like you can make, uh, muffins where you replace the eggs just with the skier because of the protein there. So if you're making like a fruit muffin or something like that, you can make skier muffins. I've actually experimented with this quite a bit. I worked as a journalist at the magazine here, The Grapevine, which is the only major tourist magazine here in Iceland. And, I, and, we, and we did all sorts of tests to see what was possible. You can make a high protein uh, like Alfredo pasta sauce 
So you replace it and you add this as the main ingredient in the Alfredo using garlic and Parmesan to cover it. So you're having like a super protein pasta. You can mix it in with cheesecake, like has been said, like Bernard was mentioning, it's been called. You could mix it into any sort of like uh, like a pumpkin pie where you replace the ingredients and make it like almost like a cream cheese or a, a cheesecake pumpkin pie. If you're thinking about Thanksgiving that's coming up there in America. You know, in Iceland, we have scale bars even. We have drive throughs where people drive and they don't get a burger they get a boost with skid in it. We're hoping to become kind of a, a staple in a good percentage of families who just like when they say, okay, you know, you have a sandwich, an apple, you know, a carton of milk or a juice box or something that skier kind of, it starts to join the refrigerator of things that people feel is just what you throw in the lunch basket when you want your kids to go to school and have a good day. And I mean, this is definitely the future also. I mean, we had a meeting the other day with the CEO of Arby's. Everybody are looking into changing something, you know, adding something healthy into the meals. And that's the right choice. Is it right across the country or just in New England? Or It's right across the country. You can find this in San Diego. Uh, you can find this in uh, New York. A lot of independents have been coming on board with us in New York. We're launching with Giant in Pennsylvania in January. That's loads of locations. I, you know, coming from Iceland, seeing all these uh, retailers, it's such a big, big market and big country, and we're getting chain every week, kind of. It's like uh, when we're getting small chains, that's like we're getting the biggest chains in Iceland. It's very unreal, everything that's happening with our brand, to be honest. We're very proud. Yeah, like we're currently in like 19 different grocery chains right now throughout the United States going right from the East Coast to the West Coast and just with these kind of smaller chains everyone says yes and then usually by the reorder they're ordering more and they're happy with what they have and that's with a small team Unar in Portland kind of running the show we promote the independence as much as we promote the big chains because they're the ones that are getting us noticed that's how we're getting out there that's how people are getting the product. So we're, we're kind of like, we're small and we are respecting all the small businesses that are taking us. And we're going to kind of try and bring everyone with us. And just as long as we get the product out there, we're happy. We're, yeah, we're seeing huge increases with our distributors, Pehi and Unify, stores that we didn't even present to. They're, just, they're uh, suddenly we're there and we're like, wow, you know, what happened there? And obviously not everybody knows what Skier is. How are you getting the word out there? I work as the brand manager, so I'm always just obsessed with how we get people to kind of understand what we actually are, how to say it, and then how to kind of adopt it into their regular purchasing patterns. And so if you look up Skier on Google, you're going to get a certain number of hits. And when you look at the type of people that are mentioning it, if you do the market research, it's usually around places that before COVID had a direct flight from Iceland. So there's, you know, communities of people because it's about 2 million people and about 60% of those were American that were going to Iceland per year up until uh, the pandemic there between 2013 and 2018. I think the average is about 1.4 million over that period. And those pockets of people, they know about it because of traveling. Then there's an interest for people in the fitness and health community because I mentioned kefir and those things before. If you told parents 20 years ago how the dairy aisle would look, no one would believe you because now it's an international aisle, really, which it didn't used to be in the United States. You'd have fancy cheeses if you're having a wine or something, but the actual 
everyday stuff that was in the dairy aisle and main grocery stores was American made and was American products. And that was the same in Canada because of regulations. Iceland's actually very similar to this. But in the last years, there's been this kind of globalization in the dairy market where people want to see these different products and try these different things. And they trust these kind of older recipes, these like old, traditional, honest recipes. And so uh, things like probiotic, now that they know how important this is to our health, that the, the gut health of a generation is completely different than the generation before. Like my parents are both baby boomers, but to be the same weight as them when they were my age, I would have to eat a lot less than they did. And that's that's a weird thing that's going on because of gut health throughout the world. People now realize probiotic stuff is something that we need. We need to start changing our diet to focus on this sort of stuff. It also has an effect on mental health. Like uh, the more probiotics you eat, the more you can reduce anxiety. These are things that are all buzzwords on the internet and people are looking up all the time. But in the nutrition and fitness and then also just in the business of selling food products, this is something that people are paying attention to. And Skier kind of has all of it. We are kind of at all points. We have the probiotic side, which is all over the place right now, you know, all the way from kombucha tea to to whatever. And then you have the high protein, which everyone's realizing, hey, people are not eating enough protein and that it would be better to get your energy from protein than these kind of easy carbohydrates, sugar spiking things that we've been doing for too long. So uh, Skier kind of comes at the intersection of all of these kind of food trends that are very popular right now. So it hasn't been that hard to get people interested. As soon as you give them the basics, high in protein, low in sugar, you have the probiotics, you know, this is how many calories, this is how, like, this is how you eat it. They see that, you know, you can have it just straight out of the cup or you can have it with breakfast. It's a type of food that gives you energy all day if you have to have a quick lunch or something like that. And Americans have been pretty quick to adopt it for not just people who have been to Iceland, but just in general, once people hear about it, they're like, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for this change in my diet. If I'm having a quick meal, I want to be comfortable with what I'm purchasing. And we're and that's what we're kind of selling is that you don't have to be nervous about having that quick lunch. This is the right choice. Also, we're like launching a, a lot of side things with the project, such as we're sending out free meal plans and free exercises, which we've uh, we've done like training programs and so on for all our customers. We're not telling people to go and train, but we are definitely giving them the uh, platform to, to do training without paying for it. One of the big things about Skier that is not mentioned and it's because it's tied in with yogurt it has this kind of connection to either you know pouring a savory version on dinner or having the breakfast one which is the kind of the big thing breakfast brunch yogurt and fruit and stuff like that i would say if someone was looking to make a big change in their life health-wise and just general well-being and feeling and things like that if you decided that instead of having these late night snacks and stuff like that, you chose to have skier and then going to bed earlier and you did this just for two weeks, I bet you if you wrote it down, you would lose weight and feel a lot better. It's alpha casein protein. So this is protein that's good for recovery. So this after a long day of whatever you're doing, this is the sort of thing that you can have in your stomach and it doesn't spike your cortisol hormones or sugar levels or a glycemic index throughout the night this is something where if you're looking to sleep better and feel better choosing to to make skier part of like that last little late night snack rather than 
whatever candy you can grab or something. This this is something I think is a after eats it at night also. He, yeah. He uh, he actually now in his in his meal meal program, you know, his he eats steaks for breakfast actually. But <laughs> but he's eating skir as the late night snack always now. Yeah. And I think just tying it to sleep is something like that's a big another big uh, talking point within the health community anyways is uh, people getting sleep and this is something that could could really help like choosing like if you know that you're a person who has these cravings before going to sleep you taking thorskir is like your replacement for candy or whatever it, you'll feel a big difference that's why hapthor is using it because alpha casein proteins are for recovery they take a long time to digest and they don't spike your glycemic index just getting better sleep for two weeks will make a big change in your life. And we and we hope to get people kind of on that routine too. So we don't want to be just in the morning. We're also there right before you go to bed. We were talking about the ca- categories before. Uh, I mean, skate is a growing category still, while most of the other categories are going down. So skier and plant-based, those are the growing categories in dairy. I must say I did enjoy that interview. Right, now it's the time of the week where we pop across the Irish Sea, which is about four miles away from here, to Dublin to get our weekly look at the global dairy markets with Charlie Highland at StoneX. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Jim. Well, another quite well-supported week here in the dairy markets. Um, it's it's not, a, not a week of, uh, of a lot of new news out in the market, but more one that's kind of driven by sentiment at the moment, it feels. I mean, there's... You know, if we look across the kind of supply and demand um, situation, we're still looking pretty pretty weak on the supply side. I mean, we're September numbers are are starting to come true here from from Europe, and we're looking, um, you know, like we're we're definitely short, and and year on year we'll probably be down around two and a half percent from Germany, um, the biggest producer, and and down around two point two percent probably from France. So really, the big players in terms of milk production are are looking quite weak at, at the moment. There is some, you know, positive signs around Europe, such as the likes of Ireland, where there's still strong growth. But really, it's not enough to to compensate for what we're losing from the major producers. Part of the reason for this, of course, is the fact that, um, uh, you know, farm level uh, profitability has been suffering due to much higher input costs. That continues to be a, a challenge for the market. Now, we, we've seen a big move up in, in terms of commodity prices over the last couple of months, which hasn't really fully filtered through to milk prices yet. So that's going to take another few months. We expect probably the start of next year to see quite high milk prices across Europe and ones that are high enough to more than compensate for the higher costs at farm level. So there is reasons to believe that the milk supply situation should improve next year as farmer margins and profitability improves. But in the short term, um, we're still struggling. There's, there's just not enough milk for the demand that's out there. And the demand side of the market, I mean, there's a conference happening in uh, our trade show, should I say, in, in Dubai this week in Gulf Food Manufacturing. And, and the sentiment coming from that is still quite positive. Um, we're seeing a good appetite from buyers on, on, on most products, really, and most markets. Um, New Zealand markets always also be moving up quite strongly, which is, is showing that there's still a expected strong demand from, from Asia, Southeast Asia, and um, also Middle East. And that's filtering through to Europe as well, where we're continuing to see strong prices in most products and most commodities. 
Due to the expected, I guess, improvement in farmer margins next year, the, the forward curve is backwardated on, on a lot of products. So, for example, if we look at butter prices trading in quarter four of this year, we're, we're still up at around, for November, December, up at close to 5,400 euros. But that drops considerably as we move into next year, down as low as uh, 4,700 by the time we get to Q3. So really a big discount as we as we move forward into next year similar backwardation in skim milk powder but not as quite as extreme but but the market is pointing to the fact that while we're very tight right now on milk collections we should see some improvement on on milk supply next year and possibly some demand destruction due to these high prices so there is a at least the forward curves in what's trading is is showing some uh, alleviation of the pressure as we move in towards next year great thanks charlie we will catch up with you again next week StoneX provides risk management and margin hedging programs and services, as well as OTC hedging tool and M&A advisory services to the global dairy industry. And that does it for another podcast. It's still crazily busy, what with webinars, the podcast, a farm visit, editing, writing, and doing more interviews for the podcast. Next week, we have interviews with the four startup companies chosen for the Milky Beta program. I've also got four other interviews to do and three more where we're just trying to coordinate times and time zones. About five minutes after an interview I did yesterday, I had three delivery drivers show up at exactly the same time, which was a bit odd. I'm glad they arrived during school time because tis the season to be sneaky and I don't enjoy fielding the what is it, who sent it, who's it for kind of questions that I now get asked. Fortunately, one was a hockey jersey and another was a pair of swimming goggles for school, so nothing to hide there. Right now, the obsession in the home is with flags, so I'm helping make flags with those bead things that you iron. Although, because most of the world's flags include red, white or blue, we've run out of beads, which is a really good thing for my shoulder. Can't really imagine going to the doctor with a sore arm and explaining that it's a repeat stress from putting beads on a pegboard. So until the next delivery, I'm off the hook. Alright, so I should go and see if I've missed any deliveries while recording the podcast, and I hope you will join us again next week wherever in the world you may be. Until then, take care, stay safe, and as always, thanks for listening.